everyone. Welcome to Everything Preacher. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm joined by Keith Krepko and Rob Adams. We're currently watching AMC's Preacher, and tonight we are talking about episode seven. Yeah, he gone. He gone. He gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get right into it. General general impressions. What did you, uh, Keith? What did you think of the episode? Yes or no? You liked it? Thumbs up. Thumbs down. Yeah, I'm going to try and keep it brief this time and say I really liked it. You really liked it. Thumbs up. All right. I'm going to do that sideways thumb where it's not up, but it's not quite down. But you're going to tilt it a little up at least. A little, little up. Um, As far as like some of the character moments I really liked, but then there were like some other scenes that I felt were kind of like dragged the episode down. Okay. Nitpicks, man. Nitpicks. Sure. Um, I liked it. I thought it was just a solid entry in the series, kind of moving the needle forward a little bit. Not a ton happens, but enough to be like, keep me interested. Right. Um, when's the last time you watched the show, you got seven episodes in and you still liked it. Justin, (laughs) uh, this might be the first in a, in a long, long time. Yeah, in your life, in a long, long lifespan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so since our notes are a little scattershot, let's just do, uh, we'll just do like a round robin of something that stuck out to you. Uh, the first thing, uh, just to give people listening an idea of how scattershot the notes are, the very first thing I have written down is, the mystery of Donnie's missing nipple has been solved. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> none of us really knew it was a mystery until it was solved in this episode, right? I mean, I saw a post on Reddit that was like, why is this guy missing a nipple? And I just wrote it off as like... Because he's missing a nipple. I, I honestly didn't even think he was missing a nipple. I just thought it was like, oh, it's probably just like the angle or something. Like, why are you looking at this guy's nipple so closely? <laughs> right? Says so, so the guy who spent a season of this show complaining about the top... <laughs> Of the screen being blurry. All right. Well, I want you to revisit. If you're going to keep bringing it up, then you need to revisit <laughs> it at some point. <laughs> so, Keith, what was something that stuck out to you about the episode? Uh, I think for me, what stuck out was Tulip's backstory. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, I think we've been pretty vocal about Tulip and her erratic behavior and especially the way that she reacts and responds to Jesse as being particularly frustrating as a viewer to see. And they really went kind of deep uh, in her backstory to kind of lay out where some of this obsession Mm. might be springing from. Uh, And I guess I, I want to know uh, your takes on her backstory mm-hmm. and if that did help to alleviate some of those concerns that we voiced previously or at least put them in a framework that if you don't think is completely justified at least you know does a head fake to explaining some of it well so her backstory is that she Something happened to her parents. Her mom's in jail. That's right. Her mom's in jail. Her dad's just not there. And her Mm -hmm. uncle's a drunk. And so Jesse's dad takes her in. Uh, And we should also point out that Jesse's mom is non-existent so far, right? Yeah, I think I have a theory on where she is. And I I think they reference it. Okay. Because... He doesn't know where she is, right? Yeah. That's what he says. I mean, I, I guess we can just jump... Right there, because I don't think that this is worthy of a prediction board bet. Uh-huh. Um, because unle- to me it seems pretty obvious, although you guys may have taken it differently. She's with her family. Family, right? Mm-hmm. She's with the grandmother. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Jesse's dad takes in Tulip. They're live together for an indes- indeterminate amount of time. Eventually, the uh foster care people take tulip away right mm-hmm. that's the gist of it but but she's also uh looked at as as lesser than right she's she's got a bad family history and she's not respected and blah 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 
So there's that part of her backstory. There's the backstory that her that her and Jesse were were basically best friends, and that Jesse was the only one that kind of uh, believed in Tulip. Yeah, right? he, I mean, he, he was it. Right. Even his dad didn't believe in her enough not to give her up to foster care or whatever. Yeah. Uh, to me, it it is a, clearly an attempt to explain her behavior up until this point. But the entire time I'm thinking, like, this is like a brother-sister relationship and sort of, like, feeling that I'm getting. This is not a uh, relationship. Like, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't lend itself to, like, a relationship component it just seems it still seems weird to me that she's so obsessed with jesse and calling him her boy calling him her boyfriend right when it it seems like it's more of a family connection than it is like a romantic romantic relationship rob did you pick up on the um reference to the comic books of jesse's promise to her because in the comic books yeah he he's always making her the promise that he will love her basically forever. Um, and I forget the the exact wording, but she makes him without saying. He you may, know, makes Tulip the promise of um, that he will love her till the end of the world. Love her to that's yeah that's the wording. So he he makes Tulip the promise that he will love her until the end of the world. And in the show, all she says is till the end of the world, right? You know, she she kind of does the second half when she climbs into bed with him, and he's like, "Yeah, yep." yep. Um, so I mean, that 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 to me, I I don't think Justin got to that part in the comic book. No, but did you did you pick up on that to kind of you know reference the rom- romantic relationship and promise that that they share? It seemed completely um friendship based until she got in bed and then it just seemed a little strange um they're too young for it to be too romantic um but it just seemed just a little off and a little weird to me um when they did do the till the end of the world part it seemed as if she meant you know they're going to be best friends they're going to be together till the end of the world not necessarily in love um, and I'm pretty sure, Justin, that we're going to see a lot more of them getting to that romantic point. This is just like the start, and we've seen the end, or not the end, you know, we've seen the, like the current timeline or whatever. But there's a whole bunch in between where I guess they get back together and they do get romantic. Right. Yeah, and, and I didn't maybe get the sense that they meant it romantically in that scene. But that that was kind of verbatim the promise from the comic book that was romantic. To me, yeah. it seemed to be reinforcing that this is a relationship that is moving towards romance. That seems it seems like that would address Justin's concern of it feeling overly, pla- you know, platonic. Do you guys like the kids? Do you like these actors? I thought they were kid actors. <laughs> it's so funny they bring that up because I am notorious for overlooking kid acting. I think I just unconsciously don't like judging children because <laughs> I'll always be able to find, you know, problems. So I just kind of, I think unconsciously check out or else I know that I'll just constantly be like, well, that's, that's not great. Well, they didn't pull that scene off. But what would you think, Rob? I, I I really didn't like them. I thought these were the scenes that dragged and it felt like they were taking forever and they weren't really getting anywhere. And did they go out of their way to make it seem like, hey, it is romantic, but it's not romantic when they're like wrestling on the floor and like you see like a shoe come off and you, you get the idea. Not not that those kids necessarily were getting it on, but that someone was. And then you see them wrestling. The dad comes in. He doesn't like it. The whole, it was just very strange to me how it was shot. Hmm. You guys didn't feel it? Uh, no, not. I mean, like I said, not outside of it just being kid kid acting. I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of in the same boat as, as Keith, where like it's it's kids kids it's kid acting. Like it's just I don't know. It's just not going to be 
good. For for some insight, that that's what Keith said, but I mean, that's kind of the subtext. Is, for everything is interesting, fans. I seem to remember you guys giving those kids in cop car a pretty hard time. Oh, I love them. <laughs> I probably did not like them, but it's been a while. I haven't seen cop car in a long time, so I don't remember <laughs> really. Sorry, sorry to get off track. Okay, so um, back to the nipple for one second, and then I'll give you like one of my like something that stuck out for the episode for me that they had a scene, a throwaway scene where he didn't have a nipple and we didn't, we didn't see it, but someone did. They're building some interesting framework and like groundwork for stuff that's going to happen. So I think on, as I'm rewatching with my wife, which I am right now, I'm going to start paying attention to little tiny things and, um, and details like that, because maybe there'll be more and more payoff like that. Yeah, it's it's nice that they're paying attention and to details and like putting little details in the show like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, it gets me kind of like makes me feel like lost all over again because I really loved watching like every frame of that of that show to try and get clues of, as to what was going to be happening. And if they're going into that type of detail, I, I think maybe that they're going to do the same thing and that'll yeah. be fun. I'm going to be looking at everyone's nipple from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> Something that stuck out to me. There's that scene where Ken Cannon is listening to, I guess animals get slaughtered or whatever. Yeah. And did you know, did you guys notice the heartbeat? Like in the, the screen was kind of just like pulsing. Shake. Yes. Pulsing just a little bit. And Paul and I didn't know if it was all right. It's, it's something wrong with my TV, you know, or what. But then once it got up to him, it changed. So that really stuck out to me. I couldn't tell is that supposed to be his heart, or is that supposed to be? Is he is he listening to that to calm himself down? Because if it was like the other way, where he's like getting hmm, turned on by it, <laughs> then I would have thought that if that was his heartbeat, he'd be going faster. But yeah. it seemed kind of slow, like maybe like it's the opposite, like that kind of stuff. Just like it's like, like meditation for him. Good. Yeah, yeah. I did not get the uh, like the erotic intent of it. Mm-hmm. I got more of the meditation because mm-hmm. we we have seen scenes of him in past episodes listening to that music, and he's kind of music <laughs> listening to those sounds. <laughs> And he's kind of really like intent on it. I mean, we had preconceived notions of where that stuff was going to go. Maybe they're going somewhere completely different with it. Yeah. yeah. But Keith, I don't think we're going to get that scene that we thought we yep. were going to get. Yeah. I, I, I feel comfortable taking my bet off the board, but it's up there for eternity. So I'll, I'll stick with it for now. Yeah. Something that um, stuck out for me. Is is along? It's it's also with um, Ken Cannon, and I had written down in the notes. So they they have uh, Ken Cannon has uh, that confrontation where with Jesse, where he basically says, "You know, you made a bet. Give me the church. I'm not a Christian, right? Like you didn't convert me into a Christian." Jesse denies him, and so <clears throat> I wrote down. Or I was questioning whether or not the word actually worked on Ken Cannon. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't, why not? Is he immune to it in some way? Did it wear off? But the conclusion that I've come to since watching the episode and writing that down is that the word uh, did work on Ken Cannon. But since the command was serve God, that's what. Ken Cannon is doing and Ken Cannon's God is Ken Cannon or his lineage or his uh, business. You know what I mean? It just is. I think one theme that that's coming from this show that's it's been building on uh, kind of subtly is that God and the word of God and spirituality means something completely different to every single person you talk to. And so Jesse kind of can't just go around and make these blanket commands and expect people to 
uh, act out his intent because the words that he's using have a completely different meaning to Kin Cannon than they do to Jesse. So I feel like he's just, he is serving God, but his God is, um, you know, Kin Cannon meat and power or, you know, his, he talks about his father's run of the business and his grandfather run the business. Like that lineage is his, that's what he's working towards. That's, that's what he is serving, right? He's not serving Jesse's idea of God. He's serving Ken Cannon's idea of God, which is the business. I think you're really onto something there with the, um, with the lineage part, because <clears throat> when he came to apologize or not apologize, when he came to, to give the, the letter, he, he's like, you know, I did something really bad. And we assume he meant shoot those people. Right. <laughs> but he's not. He's talking about, like, he's not living up to his father's right. uh, expectations or whatever with, with the company. So it, it's something where now that he has, now he is serving God. That's his full focus. And I wonder if that has something to do with the, um, like the models, like maybe does he have a lineage that goes back to like something to do with, um, with, with those, those figures that he has. Yeah. And because when they, when they all come to bulldoze the church, they're all dressed up in their reenactment stuff. Right. But I remember Donnie's wife, I forget her names saying that they're reenacting Fredericksburg. Why would people in Texas be reenacting Fredericksburg? Which that doesn't make any sense to me in the first place. <laughs> but, They're just what? Civil War nuts. <laughs> They're just picking out their greatest hits. Right. And, and I know Civil War nuts, you know, because I worked in Hagerstown. And I know people that, you know, did that stuff. But that's because Hagerstown, famous battle. Gettysburg, famous battle. When you live there and you're in it, you know, sure, that's a hobby. But when you're in Texas? It doesn't make that that doesn't make too much sense to me, but that's why I started thinking about maybe there's some type of lineage. And when you started talking about that, I'm starting to draw lines. So maybe that has something to do with it. What do yeah. you guys think? Uh, yeah, I I agree with you. Um, on Justin. that, I mean, <laughs> I haven't thought about it in those terms. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah, it does make sense. Though. No, I, it sounded like you forgot Justin's name. I thought you were going to say, I agree with you, Justin. <laughs> Justin. Ju- <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think, I think Justin is, is right on. Um, we got, well, Justin, you, you turned us on to the Preacher Insider podcast. Yeah. And <clears throat> I've been listening through those episodes and on one of them. And what's interesting is that they're talking to a director and you realize how limited information some of the people, including directors, have about the overall story. They're kind of given a script and they're given kind of a brief, you know, outline of what they might need to know, but they don't fully understand where everything is headed. And so I think this was, I don't know if this is canon, but I think this was maybe the director talking of episode three. and. um I think he was just throwing out his theory, but but something he said was, um, or somebody on the podcast, um, that the word is not able to execute a command in the way that Jesse intends it. It is only able to put that charge into a person who is then forced to adapt that command for their own life. And I think that that is the understanding of the show and it might be distinctly different than the comic uh in a in an interesting way so in the comic there's a scene where Jesse tells a guy and I can't remember the exact wording Rob I don't know if you if you remember this either but he, he commands him to count 3 million grains of sand and yes. Um, that guy then spends most of the rest of the comic counting the sand. 
and he's not able to interpret it in any other way than what Jesse, how Jesse said it. Um, that seems to be a distinct difference here. And I think it leaves the, the door wide open to Justin's interpretation of kin cannon and soon everybody is going to be told, you know, serve God and they're all going to need to interpret it their own way. And it's not going to be one uniform way. It's not one kind of Bible stamped and approved way of understanding that command. And Jesse has the worst understanding of that. Yeah. Which brings me back. And this is another thing that's brought up in this episode of how in control is Jesse of his own thoughts and impulses right now. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings and you know, the more time you spend with the ring, the more it perverts your mind and your soul. Yeah. And it bends you to its will. And I I have a feeling like that is also addressed in this episode. Yeah. Where Jesse might not be in full control of the commands that he's giving. It could be Genesis's way of sowing discord amongst all these people. Um but I think we start seeing Jesse fight back at the very end of this episode. And that was something else that I really responded to. Not a lot happened in this episode, but what did was really uh, meaningful for the story, I think. And that's what I, what I responded to in this episode. Something uh, that I am eager to talk about is uh, that I'm eager to talk with Rob about is the uh, revelation of Eugene's and Tracy's relationship. So I think it's safe to say at this point in the comic, uh, Eugene has a suicide pact with a friend, right? With just one of his friends. And after, uh, so after Kurt Cobain kills himself, Eugene and this friend make a suicide pact. Uh, the friend is successful. Eugene is not, obviously. Um, so in the show, it's changed to where Eugene is obsessed with this girl, Tracy Loach, at his school. He finally works up the nerve to express his feelings to her, and she rejects him, and then I'm assuming he comes back at a later point and tries to shoot her head off and shoot his head off. And he's unsuccessful in both both. attempts, Mm -hmm. but it kind of, it puts a real twist onto Eugene's, you know, sort of this guy's a sweetheart, well-meaning of character, you know, he, he, he is afterwards, but what led up to that was, is, is pretty heinous. So, uh, Rob, how did you, how did you feel about that twist and does that did it change the way you saw Eugene at all? It doesn't change how I see Eugene because at this point he he wants forgiveness for what he did. Yeah. Um he wants to uh I don't know if he's trying to do anything to help her, but he did visit her at at one point, you know, he went while they were at church. Um, it's a tough question because part of me is like, well, maybe he does deserve it. You know, like Jesse says, mm-hmm. you know, because he did this terrible thing. Maybe he does deserve to be there. Do you like that? They do you like that? They complicated his story. Yes, I do like that. They complicated it because life is complicated. I would have felt better if I was completely right. And they had, they had like tried to do it together. Right. It's still terrible, but he isn't, uh, you know, he's not trying to kill this girl because she said, no, you know, I don't, I don't want to go out with you or whatever. Um, still terrible. I, I still like him. I think there's, you know, redemption available possible for him. Um, I don't know. Keith, yeah. Complicated. Complicated feelings here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I liked it. Um, I don't know how he shot her 
to get the <laughs> to only shoot the yeah, top of her head off. To weird. only shoot the top of her head off. So I had some logistical issues with that explanation. <laughs> Maybe it was like a Bugs Bunny Elmer Fudd situation. Right. Like she grabs her hat and ducks or something like that. And he blows the hat off of her head <laughs> right. and gleam the top of her head. Um Maybe she's running and and he shoots her and it like it just got the back. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that that to me was odd. It made me feel like, too, again, the weird non-check-ins with some of the people we've seen Jesse impact this season so far. And she's one of them. Right, as so, far as we know, she's still just a vegetable with her eyes open. With her open. eyes open, you know? I mean, it, and Jesse went back there for the forgiveness thing. Did he try anything else? I mean... So anyway, I it, it made me think about her and wondering where where she's at. Um, but in terms of the explanation, uh, I'm I'm fine with it. Um, they are absolutely reinterpreting these characters uh, as they see fit, and I like the control that they've taken over. You know, the show. You know, from the. Uh, uh, from the source material, I like that they've established themselves firmly on the ground of we don't really care about a strict interpretation. Um, but if it, it feels, I, I just want to see it all play out because it still kind of feels a little arbitrary, some of these backstories. Mm-hmm. Uh, something else that I really took note of while watching this episode is this for me was the episode where I realized that Cassidy is the what I feel like far and away the best character in the show he's the best acted he's the best written he's the most well-rounded I feel like and it's kind of strange that this supernatural vampire who's already killed dozens of people and drank their blood is kind of the moral center Mm -hmm. of the show. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of, I feel like he's taking the role of the viewer basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, So I was wondering how you all felt about Cassidy in this episode. He also had a bunch of big scenes, you know, it's revealed that he's in the church when Jesse banishes Eugene he has a scene with Tulip where uh, they're discussing Jesse and how much they know and don't know about Jesse, and then the scene in the uh, when they're having dinner together. But uh, Keith, how did you feel about Cassidy in this episode? Yeah, I've I've always liked Cassidy. I, I like that character actor from uh, a BBC show called Misfits. That I thought he was. Uh, pretty great on so I've, I've always liked him um i think cassidy you're right has become a surrogate for the audience in a interesting way that might be um the reason you so identify with him yeah because he does kind of cut the difference and he can kind of pop in to comment on the aspects of these characters that maybe we we are observing or we have questions about or that we're identifying as problematic. And Cassidy has that freedom to kind of bounce back and forth between Tulip and Jesse and, um, call them out a little bit. So I agree. I think he's, he's the, uh, strongest character on the show. And my dark horse is, is, uh, Kin Cannon who we can talk about later on, but I'm interested in Rob. What, what's your take on, uh, Cassidy. How is it that a hard drug abusing, um, cursing, badass, tough guy vampire is the voice of reason on this show? Yeah. Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah. I think that's part of the joke. But it's also pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like scenes that he's in. Um, I, I really liked the scene where they were eating. I have a nitpick about that scene, but in general, you know, just sitting and talking and, and the scene where he's trying to talk Jesse 
you know, in like, well, how are you going to fix it? How are you going to, you know, how are you going to do this stuff? I, I really liked moving that character forward. And I liked how it, it's moving the story forward and it's asking the questions that we're asking, just like you said. Um, and now that Eugene's not there anymore, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm rooting for, for Cassidy, I guess. Yeah. I will say that I'm officially over the pop culture references. Mm. It seems like they're trying to work one in, at least one in with each episode. Yep. There's a Godfather one in this episode. And Are they all from Cassidy mainly? I think so. That's the feeling I get. And so I'm, I'm over that. Like just draw, like <laughs> it, it, it feels like it's one of those things that, 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 that writers do to like make people seem more authentic or real. But it just is like nobody says that in real life. I, I don't feel like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like pop culture references aren't made that often in real life. I mean, at least not in the with the circle I hang out with. And it, it reminds me of, do you remember the uh, article that revealed that there's a boob guy on Game of Thrones on the Game of Thrones set where basically his job is to see if they can include more boobs <laughs> Or he's, he, he's, he's like a producer. Uh-huh. It came out at the, um, uh, the season finale of season two, where the director of The Descent, maybe it was episode nine, uh-huh. um, but the Battle of Blackwater scene. Right. Um, he basically came out and he was like, they're like, hey, what was it like? What was it? He was like, yeah, it was great. But there's a producer on set who's basically... Every single time we set up a scene was like, hey, can we can we put more boobs in here anywhere? And uh, and yeah, that that got revealed. And I feel like Preacher has a pop culture producer who just wanders around and just tries to get people to inject more pop culture references. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I I will support my crazy sounding claim with a link that maybe we can put in the show notes if you want to read the article about the boob, the the breast <laughs> producer for Game of Thrones. Yeah, I don't get that job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I believe it. You got to know some people. I will say, though, I did like the callback to the Big Lebowski reference, though. Like, like I didn't like the Big Lebowski reference at first, but if it's going to be this running thing that Cassidy is always upset about, I'm, d- I'm down. Like, that's <laughs> fine. Keep, keep keep up with that. I think I like that he's up, like he's upset. Exactly. About it. Yeah, right. that's yeah. a funny idea. It was it was pretty funny. What did you guys think about Cassidy calling Jesse his best friend? It seems like they've known each other for six days. How long has this been? That's an interesting point because, um, they also talk about in the Insider podcast I listened to today. They said that this last episode. Which I it just I guess this just didn't register with me as I was watching it. But the last episode, the entire thing takes place over the course of one day. Um, but I, I think you're right. Like not, these characters, ha- even though we're only you know six episodes in, seven episodes in, however many it's been, it it kind of feels like they've all of these characters have known each other for a long time. To me, at least. But they haven't really like mm-hmm. Jesse's been there for less than a week, probably. But I think that kind of seems to be Cassidy's M.O., right? Like he doesn't know anybody. He's just kind of traveling the world and he has found this. I mean, they've definitely done the grunt work in showing Cassidy and Jesse having these. What are supposed to be long conversations in most episodes. So uh, it, it's probably just, if anything, it's probably just fuel to the love triangle fire that is coming inevitably that I don't want to come. I'm finishing up the comic right now and I'm at this point towards the end, Keith, where a lot of stuff is coming out about Cassidy and it's, it's very different than the show. Yes. And they're taking their the try the love triangle in the comic, you know, ends and it, or it's it's very very different than it is in in Absolutely. the series. Mm-hmm. 
And why even throw the triangle into the series if this is where they're going to go with with Cassidy? I, I just I don't understand. Yeah, I I'm starting to see a possibility of them using Cassidy and Tulip's little fling as more of a of an accent to these characters than as a plot point. So I'm starting to see how her decision to have frustration sex with Cassidy ends up just being a commentary on these characters' feelings more than Jesse being pissed off that they actually did that. I kind of get the sense right now that if Jesse was, if it was revealed, that he he could care less. He is not going to be pissed off at all. There's not going to be any of that anger. Right. So it, it says more about, you know, the state of Tulip. Yeah. And now it says more about Cassidy because he's showing to be like the moral compass because he's now able to say, hey, we've got this thing. It's making me feel uncomfortable that Jesse doesn't know. I'm going to tell him. Um, it says more about him than it does about Tulip or Jesse. Yeah. So do you think, uh, what do you think happens to Cassidy at the end of the episode? He reveals to Jesse that he's a vampire, knowing that Jesse's not going to appreciate that. And he finally gets his uh, being out in the open comeuppance and gets set on fire when he goes out in the sun. Mm-hmm. Does Jesse, what does Jesse do? Just leave him to burn, put him out, throw something over him. Keith, what do you think? This is the part. So I think this episode did a good job of taking Jesse to the lowest point possible Mm -hmm. before you would have no other option than to start hating him, like actively hating him as a person. Mm -hmm. And that is the moment when he started to turn because he comes back in with the fire extinguisher. He then kind of, Pisses off everyone else. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to the boards and starts trying to dig up Eugene. Mm-hmm. So my thinking is seeing Cassidy step out in the sunlight like that was the moment that his. Whether it's his own consciousness or just his own will start to assert itself over Genesis. And he did save Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not like fully like he may not have stopped to make sure that Cassie was fully in the shade and uh, was fully recovered. Mm -hmm. But I think that he at least, you know, kind of put him out and kicked him into the shade a little bit Um, and then stormed inside. Yeah, I'm sure he put him out and um, he's just out there healing and, um, and then he's trying to come to grips with that when he's sitting down with the girls and then he's like super grumpy and jerks to them. Yeah. He said, what's he say to Tulip? He says, why are you even here? Mm-hmm. And Emily starts to come clean about how she feels about him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, ever since you came back, you have really believed in you. And he says, well, that was stupid. Right. And I was like, Jesse, why are you such an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and he actually repeats his father's words back to Tulip, mm-hmm. right? What his father said to him about Tulip going to the foster care or whatever. I'm going to say that I think I, I get the feeling that he did not help Cassidy and he just left him out there. But I feel like Cassidy's reappearance is going to be like He's all burnt up outside Quinn Cannon's Civil War recreation army approaches the church during the night. And that's how Cassidy heals himself by tearing that those Civil War recreators apart. Right. Because he has to eat blood to get better. Yeah. Yeah. I can see what you're saying. But I will go on the board and say that you're wrong. All right. 
I, I can follow you to a, to a point where I, I could see a version of Jesse leaving him there. But the it's the the vampire in the night stuff that I, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see as cool as that would be. Yeah. Like, so, so in your version, Cassie's now basically like a skeleton. Yeah. He's like just remnants on the ground, mm-hmm. more or less. The like dust rises up. Right. Either that or maybe Jesse just like kicked him into a bush or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that's my thing where, yeah. yeah, he, he saves him, but not, not in a caring way. Right. I think he's going to be there when the army approaches the church. Yeah, you going back to a quick point that you made about them being friends. I mean, the the problem is that Jesse hasn't done anything for any of these people, has he? I, he's never listened to Cassidy. It, no matter what Cassidy tells him, whether it's about the angels, yeah, or uh, Jesse's just always like, "I'm busy. I can't listen to you." He has told Jesse that he's a vampire to an extent. That if Jesse was actually listening, he he would have put it together. So Jesse's shown to be a very uncaring, uh, non-friend to Cassidy. He's perpetually put off Tulip. His love interest, he ab- abuses not in a physical, emotional way, but mm-hmm. more just, you know, he takes her for granted. I mean, he has up to his, and, and I've been able to blame it on Genesis. But I'm starting to think that that's a failure of, of character um, writing uh, is that you, you really, other than him being the main character, you really haven't given me much to hang on with Jesse. And for, yeah, for these people who keep coming back to him and for Cassie to say he's my best friend, that's what, sound, that's what I think causes the dissonance in that mm-hmm. statement. It's not just time. Is it well? What is Jesse do, like during the week lo- that we're gone? Is Jesse just giving Cassie back rubs up in the um, <laughs> attic and talking mm-hmm. baseball? Like I don't understand. Based on the show, yeah, we haven't seen anything. Yeah. It's not just time. But. They've had some bro moments though, and if Cassidy is going from person like um, place to place because he can't stay anywhere super long because he's a vampire, maybe he hasn't had a friend in a long time, and that's why he's so like intensely into Tulip and thinks Jesse's his best friend. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of wrote down the same thing. By the end of the episode, I I started to get the feeling that. Jesse has become a little bit too much of a bad guy. Like you're saying, like, I don't know if I've ever liked this character from the beginning, right? He's just always kind of been unlikable. And I think that's where Cassidy comes in partly because he has been the most likable character. Uh, and it's, it's not to say like, I don't think anybody, any character is irredeemable necessarily i mean maybe and again maybe this comes back to if watching the show it feels like it's been a lot longer than it actually has been in show time where like he's been there for like a week maybe maybe a month i'm not really sure how the timeline plays out but i'm sure he's actually been there around all these people for a shorter amount of time than it actually feels watching it so that plays into it but i think about Speaking of Game of Thrones, I think about whenever I think about has a character gone too far and like irredeemable characters, I think about how in book four, I think it was how my feelings completely reversed on Jamie Lannister, right? Mm -hmm. Like up until that point, he was top one or two worst characters in the story, like bad guys. But in 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 uh, book four, you start to see a different side of the picture. So that's who that's kind of what I always think about when I think about like irredeemable characters. I don't think Jesse's irredeemable, but I do think it's interesting that he's basically <laughs> never been likable so far in this mm-hmm. series for me. <clears throat> and so I'm interested to see how they reverse course on that. Yeah, if I, they I think they to. will start. I think the end of this episode kind of marks a turning point. For me, because he he really can't, if he keeps acting the way he's been acting towards these characters, 
that I can't, you know, you can't support him anymore. It's not like e- even Walter White, you know, who yeah. can remain conflicted throughout the run of a episode of a series where he's cooking meth and killing people. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is far more um, blunt a-, a-, a character. And I think they need to start bringing him back. And I think we will see him start start to come back from where, where he's been. Funny that you mentioned Walter White because when um, Justin was talking about completely irredeemable characters, that is the one that I can think of from pop culture went towards the end where there was no redemption for him. There's no way out. You know, he had to die. There, there was no, like, happy ending for him. And last week when we talked about is Jesse the villain of this series or this season, I had said I had heard that there was a a quote and I thought maybe they edited it strange and maybe Jesse really didn't say it. But it was basically, you know, if it's God's will that there's one more person that burns in hell, you know, so be it. He actually specifically said that to Cassidy about Eugene, like Mm -hmm. he said it. Mm -hmm. and. It's getting close. They have a lot of work to do just because he I'm saying he saved Cassidy and I'm saying that um, just because he went and started to what, like dig in the ground Mm -hmm. to try and get Eugene to come back. The the writers have a lot of work to do to to turn it around so that Jesse is going to be able to lead this show if that's where they're going, Mm -hmm. you know, and if he's the person that we're supposed to be to stand behind and root for. Um, you know, if it's going to go that way, they have a lot of work to do Yeah, because they've really turned him into a terrible, terrible person. Yeah. And I just have to say this. I, I know this is not a breaking bad podcast, but I feel like Walter White was redeemed by the end of that series by him. Uh, you know, by what happening to him that happens at the end. And I, that's why I did not like it. I feel like the only way for him to be, irredeemable which is what he deserved based on the actions that he committed would have been for him to die at the beginning of the last episode right for him to not be able to act out anything that he does in the last episode and to not fulfill any of those sort of promises would have been the only way for him to be irredeemable but by doing all the stuff he does in the finale he's kind of redeemed like all the stuff he's done is terrible, but he still is kind of a hero by the end of the episode. I felt like they tried to do that. They tried to make him into a hero. They tried to let him go out on top, but he's in my eyes, you know. Yeah. Th- there's there's still no redemption for him. But you're right. That's exactly what I wanted, and that's what he deserved. You know. Yeah. Was to not go out a hero. Uh, one question I had, I have one more thing that I want to, uh, talk about. Um, but did nobody else find it suspect (laughs) that Jesse starts tearing up floorboards to his church and is immediately digging in dirt? Like if his church is not built on any sort of foundation, Foundation. then it literally deserves to be bulldozed by kin cannon because it's like a building hazard. Like people should not be in that church at any time. So yeah, the the rumbling great image, but I mean, yeah, the rumbling from kin cannons bulldozer (laughs) will probably do most of the work. He should get get to the church and it'll be like at a 45 degree angle. angle. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. No, I yeah, thought he was that, that did. Up. Yeah, that that did occur to me, but it was one of those things that you see and you're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, I did think I thought, he was digging for something specifically, but then I realized that he's just kind of guilty slash frustrated. Mm-hmm. He was using the voice on the ground, correct? <laughs> I got the same impression. Yeah, he was yeah, using he the was voice. Trying to scream yeah. back down to Eugene. This <clears throat> this speaks to a, a really quick knit. That, that that occurred to me during this episode. I understand that the catalyst for Jesse wanting to be a better preacher and a man is Genesis. Episode one, we see him grab a sermon, a page, you know, falls, and he basically has gotten it off of the internet. 
and he's using a, a story that, you know, isn't his obviously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, so I understand the catalyst for, for wanting to be a better preacher is feeling like he got this gift, but for somebody who professes to want to be a better, whatever it is for him to have cared so little in understanding anything beyond just his limited assumptions about what a preacher is about God is has affected my abilities to connect with Jesse as well. So here we have Jesse screaming into the dirt for a man that he sent to hell. Does he believe that hell is in the dirt? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's these basic, if you, if you, if you thought dynamically at all about what you're professing to want to be better at, then you would understand it as a metaphysical place. I mean, you wouldn't scream into the dirt, right? Maybe he's not as convinced at the word's power as we would think he is. You know what I mean? Maybe he's just, I don't know. Maybe he's just, it's it's a moment of, of doubt that the word is actually doing anything to anybody, especially after he just saw, uh, apparently Kim Cannon, Cannon, nothing happened to Kim Cannon. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, and again, this is a net and this is just my thing, but but it's just like, you would think that he would go to a local (laughs) library and just get a theology book. You know what I mean? Like that we would see him at one point carrying around a book to try and understand a little deeper, but he seems to want to be better at something that he's not willing to put any time and effort into fully understanding beyond just like, Serve God, God, mm. God, God, you know, and, and that to me is, is a letdown because part of his character is this drive to be a better preacher, mm-hmm. yet him as a character or he as a character has taken no steps to show any, you know, it's like somebody being, saying, I want to be a better architect, but I'm not at all going to study architecture. Mm-hmm. I just want to build better buildings, you know? What if instead of digging up the floorboards, he just went back into his office and typed into Google, where is hell? hell? (laughs) I would have liked it better if he pulled up his smartphone and opened Google Maps and just wrote in hell (laughs) and then Hades just trying to find a hit. Yeah. It just occurred to me this exact second that he specifically went to those boards to that dirt because that's exactly where he disappeared. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Duh, I'm an idiot. Um, well, Jesse's an idiot too. So you're, <laughs> you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I wanted to talk about and Rob, I wanted to get your take on, and it's something that we've, we talked about. We've sort of talked around the last 20 or so minutes was that dinner scene that they all have together. I think that was like, one of the first times we get all of those mm-hmm. characters in the same room interacting with each other, with each other. Um, what a great scene. Yeah, it was, it, it was a good scene. They're all willing to let Jesse just just lie about that and you know straight to the straight to Hugo Root. That part was very, very strange. Um, I don't know why Emily would change her story immediately right like that. I mm-hmm. thought you know, it's going to go somewhere else. She's like, you know, you did see him because, you know, I, I brought him in. Um, but the scene itself, when they're sitting there and, and then they're talking through everything, there are like entire episodes of the walking dead where when it's the best, it's just the characters and you're getting to know them. They're doing talking just like that. One of my favorite scenes of the whole series so far, because of how it got everybody together we we got to see some of their motivations. We got to see some of, uh, like, we haven't seen these people interact like that before. So I liked seeing that. I'd like to see more of that. Um, what I hated about the scene, and if it's my turn to nitpick, I don't like when they spend seconds of people chewing. Like, I had to watch him eat, <laughs> like, chewing, chewing. You mm-hmm. know, just not just, like, a little bit, not, like, pretend eating. There was some serious on-screen chewing. And I think that's pretty gross. I don't like to listen to people chew. Um, I thought that was super weird. Keith hated watching the guy wash the dishes. I hate the the 
I think they're like they're they're wasting precious time with some of this little little right. stuff. But did you guys like the scene? I liked it. I I liked it a lot. I I thought that the uh I thought that the oven catching on fire, uh, that whole metaphor ha- could have very easily been kind of overdone and seem maybe a little ham-fisted. But I thought it actually worked really well, and uh, I thought it was a you know neat uh, take on what Jesse is sort of obsessing over. The fire and brimstone stuff is pretty pretty sweet. The yeah. um the like imagery. Mm-hmm. that that brings forward you know i appreciated that yeah yeah i thought i thought it was clever and you know it's all about how were they eating it's all about the body language you know the uh the hard shoes and the distant stare right like it's all those are all deep character moments rob you seem to, <laughs> you need to get over the uh, chewing and tap in right um no but it was but, just jesse it's right like how he was chewing is driving nuts right uh, for me, d- just really quick, just to stand with you in solidarity, um, people brushing their teeth where you can really hear that brush getting their teeth that, that will drive me similarly crazy. It is strange that you say that because I would rather you watch me drop a deuce than brush my teeth <laughs> because th- for me, brushing my teeth is very private. And I don't like anyone to be around. I don't like my wife to be around. I don't want to see you brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to see me brush my teeth. Isn't that the strangest thing? Well, it's an interesting callback because we have seen Emily drop a deuce. Yeah. In yeah. the show. And I'd rather see that than her brush her teeth. I'm pro- we'll probably see that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, really, I really enjoyed it. And it, it made me wish that and hope that we do get more of these kind of character building scenes, put them all together and have them interact with one another. I think, I think these actors can really make those um, scenes play, um, but they haven't given them a lot of time like that. Usually one character is just always moving around, going somewhere else. So I, I I liked it a lot too. Hugo's not a great sheriff. He kind of has his own, ways of doing things, his own um, reasons for stepping in or not stepping in. Um, do you feel like he, he bought it? Is he coming back? What are, your, what are your thoughts on Root and looking for Eugene? Or do you think Eugene will be back so quick that it won't matter? Well, I listened to the Insider podcast today and uh W Earl Brown is on that podcast. So I know the answer to this question. Mm-mm. And <laughs> give it to us. It's fine. Uh well, I guess I don't really know the answer to the question, but but he described the character as skeptical in nature. So and that was my takeaway more or less. I don't think he bought it. I think he definitely recognizes that something is up. I mean, he's a sh- he's the sheriff obviously, so he's used to looking for trouble and he's not a full-blown sort of goofball. You know, he seems to be fairly competent at his job, you know, whether right or wrong. So I I, I thought he was, you know, I I didn't think he bought it. Mhm. Did you feel empathy for him as he was searching for Eugene? Sure, a little bit. Yeah, I thought he did a good job of pulling off the uh, emotional distress of that character. So I think he did a good job there. Um, I think it's his own damn fault. (laughs) I I will never forgive Hugo Root. (laughs) For, For a moment in this episode... Did you think we were gonna get a uh yes a, a picture of Eugene in hell? Yep. Oh I oh yes. Oh, I kept yeah. thinking going I was yeah. I was just about to count my points. And something else I want to bring up quickly is we don't know this something I should have brought up earlier, but I didn't I didn't think of it. We don't know if what Jesse says Eugene did is the truth. 
Mm. Right. We only know that that's the story that Jesse knows. There could very well be a moment down the season. If Eugene returns, he has a different take on the story. Yeah, that's true. Or if Tracy ever wakes up from her coma. I don't know how many other takes there can be. You know, there were two shotgun blasts. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Um, one other thing that maybe did we already talk about the mascot? No, that it, was just a quick little thing. I yeah, wrote down. yeah, but but it, but it's true that the mascot has appeared. I want to say in almost every episode in the He's mascot been in every episode, costume for yeah. sure. Yeah, in the mask. Is that just a joke? Straight up joke. It's. I think it's a joke. Okay. Um, remember he's in the whorehouse in the in the mascot scene in the mascot suit. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. I was, um, I'm rewatching it with my wife, and he's in every episode. I was thinking, the only thing that that, that crossed my mind this is this is now crackpot territory, but I was like, if they wanted to reveal a character, what character could be in uh, that in the costume in that costume? And I was trying to rack my brain about the comic and just thinking like, are we going to, by the season finale, have the mascot take off his head? And it's like, saying of killers in the mascot the whole time. And now here he is. I mean, it's not, it's obviously not, but you know, I was like, I was like, I wonder what, or, you know, if, if it could build to anything. I know that it's that's crackpot, but uh but it did it did cross my mind. Yeah, I have no idea. Did you guys like the scene or what did you think about the scene when Jesse um prayed for his father's death and then he feels as if it's his fault that his father died? Yeah, don't pray for your father to die. <laughs> I definitely thought it was pretty harsh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that was. Uh, I mean, again. And, and did you notice the tattoo on um, Jody's arm? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so again, it kind of like, um, it it kind of speaks to this complicated uh, uh, idea of faith in the show, where Jesse has had a really complicated history that doesn't really cohere in in like one clear idea right like mm-hmm. as a boy i thought my prayer killed my father right then i ran off and did whatever and now i'm back but i clearly don't have any deeper understanding of who or what god is it it again to me kind of speaks to the arbitrary nature of some of the backstories that these characters have been given where they don't seem to have been developed and designed really carefully with a, the full vision of the character in mind. It was mm-hmm. more like, here's a tragic backstory for you. Now you're, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of obsessed with Jesse and here's a backstory for you, Jesse, that, yeah, he doesn't, it doesn't fit. Yeah. But it's just something that, you know, you've been marked by. So there you go. Are we supposed to believe that that has something to do with him fulfilling the promise? Like he, it, so in that scene, he, he, you know, he makes a promise, Hey, I'm going to be a good person. And then he's talking about fulfilling the promise. Um, also if, and he has a, you know, strange understanding of, 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 religion in this world he's um he does a prayer and god decides that he's going to kill his dad and then he's going to go around and that's the god he's going to serve yeah yeah that yeah that's kind of like what i was saying i i do touching on your point about the about the promise um to be a good one of the good guys i hope that it's for no other reason than just to be one of the good guys I have to say that that idea, even in the comic, resonated really well with me, where he's motivated by the recognition that there's so much evil in the world and not enough good that he's going to be a force for good, period. That it's not about a sense of duty, you know, to his father. 
or to a promise that he makes that he's feeling like he wants to push against. I like the idea in the comic of Jesse, the, the harshness that the character gets in the comic is by his blind devotion to being one of the good guys. You know, the, the, the problems that he gets himself into and the violence he commits is actually from this fierce devotion to being one of the good, good ones. Mm. And I, I like that. I like that that character is motivated by just wanting to be fiercely one of the good guys. And any misinterpretation is made interesting by that take. If he's shown as being like a conflicted character and he's just trying to do it out of an honor to his dad's promise, but he really just wants to be a bad guy or selfish. Mm -hmm. I'm not as connected with that idea as I am just this, this devotion to being, you know, recognizing the world sucks. It's broken. And because of that, I want to be a good guy. Yeah. It's kind of just a purely arbitrary balancing of the scales. Right. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Everything Preacher. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or the Google Play Store. Our website is eipodcast.com, where you can find the big board with all of our predictions, as well as uh, links to any other thing we've talked about in the episode. You can follow the show on Twitter. We are at eipodcasts. I am on Twitter at Blizzard with nine Z's. I'm at Things Come Right. I'm at Shiny underscore Rob. Uh, Keith and I also host a separate podcast called Everything is Interesting that comes out semi-regularly about whatever we want to talk about. Uh, Rob, you have a podcast? (laughs) Yes, my podcast is called The Best of Three Podcast. It's a geek-centric podcast where I sit down with my friends and we talk about stuff. All right, well, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.